Fortunately, we can get to the actual podcast, but first, just to let you know that this episode and the previous episode were recorded in the same session, so there might be some references in this episode uh, to things that we said in the previous one. All right, enjoy the episode. All right, what's next? (laughs) I I think think we've uh, discussed uh, snails and starfish and killer Thomas the Train for for a while. I I hope we have something happy uh, on deck. No, we do not. Happier than a millipede named after Taylor Swift? Um, Yeah, I think you were too optimistic because what's next is the question of the week. Exciting. As you guys know, at this point, uh, which has not previously been established, but uh, from henceforth is, we uh, cover a ridiculous question every week and just get the last three brand sales thoughts on it. So this week, we have, you are dropped in the woods, miles away from civilization. What are the three things that you carry on you? What do you bring and how do you survive for, this is three months I think we should do a year. Oh, I was I was going to go easier. I feel like if you could survive three months, I guess you're throwing in things like seasonal, like winter would be the biggest issue, I I would think. Maybe. Okay, well, Lucas, uh, you know, you came up with this question, so you've pondered it. I think you have to give us your thoughts. Well, see, the issue is I came up with this a while ago, and I've forgotten about it since then. So let's let's just do some some logic here. So I remember reading Hatchet as a kid. That's a good book that I hated to read. It's so good, man. It's it's so good. Like I'm basing my survival tactics almost exclusively on that book. But maybe instead of a hatchet, maybe something like I don't know, a machete would be cool. So uh, do you know that there's more books than just Hatchet? I. I'm a one and done. So I, he he knocked it out of the part with Hatchet. I don't need to get my hopes up for the others. So I've I've got to tell you this because my first thing is actually a Hatchet based on Gary Paulson's book Hatchet, and I can tell you that as a child I read at least four of the books. Uh, in this, they get more ridiculous as you uh, go. Like Gary Paulson's very much like a can it happen in real life kind of guy. The right. second. The second book is a journalist finds Brian and goes, hey, you survived. I'd love to do it again. So he takes Brian to the same area a year later and they only bring big knives. And when Brian, when he's asked like, hey, why didn't we use a hatchet? He's like, oh, I already did that. So I want to do a knife instead. And you're just like, what kind of insane man are you? The book is called The River, and the crux is that for some reason they can't stay, and they have to thatch together something to go down the river. Interesting. The third book is a follow-up to the first book, because he gets picked up right before the winter, 
And Gary Paulson was like, huh, what if Brian didn't get picked up through the winter and had to survive there? I don't remember hmm. what the fourth book is quite about, so I'm not sure if that means it's uh, still valuable. You know, I suffered enough being forced to read the first book, despite how great of a book it was. So I, I very much can't even. Okay, okay, Lucas, I've interrupted you though because I had to. Oh I no, it's to fair. That out. was that was a great. I, I'm glad we're both coming at from the same vantage point. We both have the same inspiration when we're answering this question. See, after that initial choice. It gets a little tougher. I think my second thing would be uh, like Flint so that I could use the machete with it to have a source of fire because fire is going to be really big deal. Uh, Purify the water so I don't get sick. During the winter, it's going to be essential to not die. Uh, and the the issue then comes is what is the best third item? You've secured your basic weapon and tool making um, to be able to cut down trees, fashion the shelter, all that good stuff. You, you've you secured a way to cook your food, to make things edible. So my, my thought goes to like shelter. What's something that would be really diff, that would be valuable to have for building and maintaining a shelter that you wouldn't be able to easily make out in the woods? And so my thought process is rope a way to more mm. safely and securely tie things together, you know, put up barriers, fences, other means of survival. So without thinking about it too much, I feel like just a bunch of rope slung over my shoulder. So to recap, wood, or not wood, hatchet, flint, rope. Yeah. You sound like a D&D character right now. Well, I mean, they... I'm sure they were thinking of something similar when they designed D&D. It's like, what does someone need to survive? And they're like, well, you need rope. You it's need a, a you need a stabby stab. That's the rope is the most valuable thing in D&D. Okay. So we've got a very practical outlook. Sammy? Stabby stab is also really important. Um, see, I'm, I'm of a similar mind. I would think a blade of some sort, whether it's... I, I like the idea of a hatchet. It's very, very tactical. I like the... Uh, the longer blade, surface area, etc., that it provides over a, a hatchet or an axe. Um, so I definitely would also go with the machete. Instead of the flint, I would be the type of person to just bring like a box of matches instead for the instant cheat code. Because I feel like I just want that very easy setup for the first fire. Or if I need to completely relocate a new fire. And I'm just going to keep that baby going and then use that as source for other fires and create a perimeter from there. Rope is a really good idea, really, really good idea. But a part of me wants to think about how a third item could be really fun, if not um, unnecessary. So I might just have you guys come back around for my third item because I, I want to do something out of the I, box here. I feel like your box of matches deserve some follow up questions. Where would you have this fire that you're trying to keep Eternal going? The center of wherever I constantly running fire is going to be a hazard, and unless you shelter it from like the rain, snow, um, in some way, you're going to need to be able to restart it. If you do it in a cave, you're going to potentially smoke yourself out. Did you do a bunch of camping as a kid or in life? No, a bunch of camping. Okay. Oh, I did a bunch of camping stuff. So 
uh, you know, you can really, even if you douse the flames and have it like out, that's why most campsites have you really douse it. Um, even if the fires run out, it's still so hot that the embers are still burning warm. You can restart your fire pretty easily. So as long as you have like a small area of like hot coals that have been put somewhere, you can reignite the fire pretty easy. So I could see it going on even if it rained. You could see you keeping that going for quite a while. Yeah, but then your matches also have to survive the elements in order for you to have a follow-up. Like in Hatchet, he got lucky because the the cave they found had <coughs> has flint. <coughs> yeah. And he discovered that when he uh, kicked a porcupine and then he threw his hatchet at it in the dark and it created sparks when it hit the wall. So I would be of the mind where it's like, yes, with almost literally nothing else to do, like, of course, keeping the matches safe on my person or whatever would be like one of my main priorities. But also, yeah, I would try to create a structure around said original fire to not just keep myself safe and keep the entire forest from burning down, but also so that it would be a central point of whatever camp I set up so I could always go back to it. And I have had the experience of uh, being in the middle of the mountains with a fire that was going out, you know, every 20 minutes going out trying trying to find more firewood and being like, all right, well, if I throw pine needles into it, it's going to smoke like a mother and just, you know, smoke everything up, not much fire. But then, you know, if you can find enough dry good flammable material you can keep it going for a relatively long time depending on how you set it up and what you do it would take more work to set up something that would last a relatively long while but that would be something that i subject myself to i i'm sorry i'm just of the opinion i feel like it'd be easier to learn how to just use flint and steel to start a fire than to have to babysit and basically keep an eternal fire going i think that would introduce more problems be more prone to because unexpected things are going to happen i i don't know that's that's just my my opinion on maybe it. sammy Nothing is wrong a follower your opinion maybe sammy is a follower of zoroastrianism and believes in the eternal fire uh to each their own i i hope you don't die Fire is important. If I die, may my soul return to the eternal fire. The eternal fire. I mean, if we're talking uh, Elden Ring again, may my soul return to the to the tree. Hey. I'm blanking on the visual name of the giant tree. It's okay. We don't have to talk about Elden Ring anymore because of those pictures we took earlier today that are going to fix the maidenless problem. Uh, well, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Y'all got maidens now. We we all looked um, moderately fuckable, I guess. I I mean that's the hope. Um, the the longer story is the longtime listeners will know Lucas and I have a weekly board game night with a group of other individuals, and when we set it up this last time, Lucas made an Elden Ring joke, and I fired back about how he was maidenless. If you're not into Elden Ring, this may not make much sense. And if you haven't heard of it, go look up what being maidenless is. <laughs> so he said, you know, if you helped me with my Tinder profile picture, this wouldn't be a problem. And I said, all right, show up, man. 
because I was doing some filming for, well, I guess by the time this comes out, it should be still rolling on um, my fitness social media brand that just went up. I was doing some filming beforehand. So everyone decided that they would dress up nice and we'd take new pictures. And we got that done. We looked, um, as Lucas said, moderately. We looked dapper if we're being uh, less crude about it. Yes, dapper. Okay. Wow, you got me excited that you found some hose. Yet, yet to be determined. I respect a woman's decision to have sex and uh, fornicate without uh, reproduction. Oh, well, you completely misunderstand me. When I said hose, I meant gardening tools. How else are you supposed to stop yourself from being maidenless? You gotta have gardening tools. You agrarian farmer. <sighs> Somebody somewhere is like... You gotta grow some corn if you're ever gonna get you a girl. You know, How somebody... can you get a girl without corn? Somebody somewhere heard me just say agrarian farmer and sighed and went like, it means the same thing. Do you really expect to attract yourself a maiden if your fields are barren and untouched? Sammy, if you're open to it, I think that that's your third item right there. A hoe. You know what? That's a great idea. A blade, a hoe, and some matches. I I could work with that. Hey, and if you dry that corn properly, you can make popcorn. I'll have popcorn, a hoe. And a sword? What else do I need? So you have popcorn to eat when the inevitable starfish apocalypse happens, and you're trying to survive for a year on your own, and suddenly there's starfish just, like, chasing you, and you're just, like, running to giant snail sanctuaries. Oh, dude, that's actually- somehow that's more horrifying. If the starfish come, I'm giving up on life. Just take me. When it's zombies, I'll, I'll put up a fight. But starfish? Nah, bro. Nah, bro. It's I'm just imagining a giant 30-foot-tall starfish cresting over a mountain and just going like, well, what do I do now? I mean, I haven't seen the movie myself, but isn't that basically what happens in the Suicide Squad? No, that's an alien starfish who can take over your mind once it attaches itself to your face, but just as Let's terrifying, Let's not yes. limit our starfish. Like, let them... I mean, we just, that just means we have to give the snail something to like, even the, the thing like, okay, give the snail, uh, rocket, you know, eye buds, just like shoot rockets. Look, I'm just going to do a little deep cut here. Every time we talk about a giant starfish, I just keep thinking of the movie evolution from 1997. Which is, I I assume neither of you have seen this nor even heard of it. Because after like the uh, two year by two years later, it was like off the cultural map. I mean, Shrek came I, out and then we were done. That's the year I came into the world. So I'm assuming when you say evolution, you're referring to just the the perfection. The, look, that this I is, brought into the world. My, I recommend everyone go out and check out this film. It is weird. Um, Most of the CGI is not bad. Most special effects seemed practical. And then there's like some CGI that's really bad. Uh, But aliens fall to Earth and they evolve very quickly. And uh, they defeat the final giant alien, which looks like a big old starfish, by putting a fire hose filled with head and shoulders shampoo up its butt. I need to watch this movie. It's called Evolution, right? Yes, it's got Orlando Jones and David Duchovny in it. It's Mulder from from X-Files. I'm going to watch this for science. Uh, it look, also reminds me of a... There's a, another recent movie that came out a couple years ago called Life. 
about how like there is a Martian organism that they discovered and then it kind of just wrecks everybody. And the theory is that, oh, if this gets back to Earth, it's going to destroy the human planet. And the ending was masterfully done. I can't Why? promise you that this movie will be masterfully done. I mean, it does have a giant head and shoulders product placement so big that they kill aliens with head and shoulders. Oh, so that's why it was, you know, shampoo. Okay, that makes sense. I was just like, that seems very random way to kill a starfish. Look, it, well, it's not a starfish. I It just resembles one visually. Just, I cannot uh, spoil that part of the movie for you. Okay. I'm just living in suspense. As long as you're not ending the legendary Starfy, because that man's a hero who saved the universe. All right. I think we're to you, Jeremiah. I think we need to hear how you would survive. All right. Here's my three items. Number one, hatchet. Already gone through it. Number two, a big jar of honey. Look, that stuff never goes bad. You can add it to things. It's like filled with carbohydrates so you can keep your body going. Good. But it also leads me to number three. A book on how to train bears. No, oh, depending no. on which wilderness I'm dropped in. If I'm dropped somewhere with a lion, that bag of honey instead becomes a chair. Uh, and the book changes to how to tame lions. But there you go. How to tame bears. Why did you go honey when you could have just gone cocaine? I we didn't put a money cap on it. I don't know if cocaine... if. Look, cocaine isn't going to help me out. It'll only help the bear out. You won't get so much stuff done. But the honey- Won't you get dehydrated? Did you say be hydrated? No, but I should have. Oh. (laughs) You can make fire. You're right next to water, or presumably you can find water. You're going to have a better chance finding water if you're, you know, on cocaine and you have- all the energy. Oh no, dude! Honey is where it goes. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not all about the cocaine. It is not a universal solvent for me, Lucas. At, at first, I was thinking you chose honey because you're so sweet. Nope. I'm gonna tame a bear. Like, and chances are, if you drop me in some random place with how many bears and bear species there are. I'm going to be able to find a bear. Now, am I going to hope that it's probably more like a nice little black bear than a grizzly bear? Hell yeah. But I'll take a grizzly. I'll mount it. This man said he'd mount a grizzly. Well, I'm just thinking of a bear minding its own business and then Jeremiah like creeping up behind it like, I'm going to get you. You're going to be my little furry friend. You just reminded me, so like a a brief breakaway, because I've been playing a board game called Scythe. Many people have played it. We're playing the campaign, but (laughs) you sounded like Trump. Many people have been saying. (laughs) Uh, Many people have played. It's a it's if you're into board games, you've probably heard of or played it. Um, Anyway, they have these encounter cards and they're just a picture. And then it's got three options. And that was definitely one where I found some bears, and one of the options was to train a bear cavalry. Did did you that not choose that useful. option? Oh, I hundred percent did. Um, I've been playing Polania, which is basically Poland, um, and they have a bear. So like all the all the character leaders have themselves the people who run the nation, and then they all have an animal companion. And Polania's is a giant brown bear. <laughs> His name is Wojak. Oh, nice. Anyway, I just, I had to cut to that. Still, the best line that we found so far has been, um, secure the pigs. 
Keanu Peaks. So, Lucas, you better be really careful. You know, that's because why we're gonna I'm a secure flying the, pig. We're going to secure the pig boy. I can't be tame. You're not going to clip these wings. Secure the pig. Oink, there's, oink, and away. There's nowhere else where this goes good if we just keep talking about pigs and things that they say. Okay. That is true. <laughs> so, that's my plan. Pigs my plan, are cannibals, yeah. My plan is that I'm going to tame wild animals, probably a bear or some other type of predator. If if it's a, I guess I could go the big cat route uh, and get, a again, a chair. Do you know why they use chairs in lion taming? Why do they use chairs? I have no idea, so. Okay, because when a when you put a chair in a lion's face or like a cat's face, it sees all four of the legs and it gets very confused and it basically just overloads their brain so they don't do anything. So like when they start to move and you put it in its face, it just like gets like discombobulated and stops. That's like when you go somewhere that's like your your secret like special like hideout like maybe it's like a cafe where there's not too many people and you walk in and there's a whole bunch of people and you're just like no sure yeah oh you know what because we're talking about animals now none of you have added any dissent to my choices just asked you know why not cocaine you so can't that- argue with perfection there <laughs> apparently I think you perfection can't argue with perfection that perfection. Very thing to do. Perfection in the wilderness is a hatchet, which we've we've all agreed that a hatchet is the primo choice, and then uh, something to train your local wildlife, preferably a predator. Um, Lucas, I've got a follow up from last week though. You told all us right. a great story about eels and Sigmund Freud's journey to find eel genitals. Yep. All mountain balls. You made a claim that science, this is still a great mystery, and science doesn't have an answer for it yet. Okay, I'm slightly worried, but continue. So science does Ooh. have an answer. So I have this I have this friend. He uh he goes by the name of Ruffles. So like the bag of chips, but with two capital Z's. Anyway. He is actually a super smart guy. He's uh, he graduated like a doctor, like before he turned 22. Anyway, we made that we were Patricia was telling this story to him and he just stops and he's like, we know an answer for that. And then like Googled around. He's like, here it is. So eels, uh, female eels like and male eels like schluff off their eggs and sperm from their like skin. They, like, pour it out as a gel. Interesting. Yeah, so, like, kind of like most fish, an eel will, like, spray down some eggs. And then the male eels, like, again, and I don't know what this gel looks like. I imagine it's, like, the viscosity of hair gel, like, comes off their body and then just floats in the water. Imagine if that's how we reproduced. We would just slimily hug each other. That goes back to the Futurama classic, No Glove, No Love. I mean, everybody needs a hug, so I can see that being an ultimate reality. It would add new meaning to the phrase getting handsy. <laughs> no. If we even use our hands. I, Ooh. Just our feet. We're just like playing footsie. So only Lucas will understand this right now. We, we plan to return to this subject later, but uh, everything everywhere all at once. Oh, no. So the reason we can't, we really want to talk about oh, this movie. no. So the thing is, 
And the movie at the at the time of this recording, the movie has been in theaters for a while. I came out with a glowing recommendation. Lucas went and saw it. Sammy's on schedule to see it, so we don't want to talk about it yet. And uh, so far, I've sent like 10 people to see the movie and all of them come back to me with high praise. And also like one of them had like a revelation and ended up like reconciling with their parents. Like, so this movie is is beast. But anyway, what we're talking about, like it does lead in again. We don't want to spoil it for Sammy, but if you've seen the movie, maybe you're you're on the same page now. I mean, with that in mind, that would that would change how I'd view some of the scenes. If we if they produced a gel that they reproduced. Yeah. With. Yeah. OK. Yeah. No, but it's it's a great movie. I I had doubts when I heard the name Everything Everywhere all at once. To me, it sounded like a, a science documentary mm-hmm. about the universe or something. I was like, OK, I mean, sure, that's probably fine. Uh, and then I saw, I was like, this is one of the most creative things I've ever seen. Um, possibly the most creative thing I've ever seen. It's funny. It's humor and weirdness kind of makes me think of the Levin Thumps book series. If any of you out there are also read those gems as a child. Those have the best character in any book ever. Haven't read them. We have to check it out. Best character ever. Okay. He's a sentient evil toothpick. Okay, so oh, eleven, eleventh wow. thumps or eleventh like eleven, uh, like L E V E N, like like first name and then last name thumps. Like okay, you thump a desk or you thump your coworker so, if you want to get fired. So I think we're gonna have to stop uh, talking about this just for one. I was always worried I was overhyping the movie. Everyone who's come back to me has made me feel justified in not quite doing it. But Sammy still hasn't seen it. Now, Sammy's docket is going to be filled this week with multiverses, right? Oh, yes. I'm watching the Multiverse of Madness and everything everywhere all at once. So if by the end of it, you're still in the same universe with us, um, Universe 6472, uh, be happy. But if, you know, you find yourself in a different one, good luck out there. I thought we were 616. Oh, my goodness. I can't keep up. No, that's the one where all the Marvel superheroes reside. Wait, okay. I thought that I, I thought that was a Rick and Morty reference. Is it? Is it not? Six one six. It is not a Rick and Morty reference. Uh, well, will you go ahead and field this one, Sammy? Marvel. There, you have your answer. So it's their. I'm base marveling u- at the lack of information you just gave me. It's uh, their base universe. Know. It's like the when DC, they were like, oh, yeah, we'll have base universe. It's universe one. Marvel was like, ours is 616. <laughs> they were one yeah. six away from getting real spicy. Oh, no. That may have been part of the plan. Just like each new series, they just bump the number up by one until eventually they hit just madness. They don't do it like that. They just I don't even think they number all of them. Some of them are numbered. Yeah, not all of them are numbered. There's some really cool Marvel stuff where they just go, hey, what if? There's a Marvel series that takes place in the 1500s, and all the Marvel superheroes are like people coming over to the Americas on ships. Yeah, they uh, they also released a new story recently, which was, which is really cool, called Marvel Dark Age. And man, that was that played out in a really fun way. You guys should check that out if you get the chance. Yeah, I think that Marvel's best stuff anymore comes from their weird alternate universes. Like, just where they go, what if? I'm sorry, my brain's stuck on the, the greatest character of all time. 
Oh, the sentient toothpick. Okay, yeah. well, don't spoil it for us. We're going to have to check that out. I mean, this is the first book in the series very early on. Basically, I... Yeah, but Sammy, have you read this book? Book series. I have not. I mean, when I was reading through them, I accidentally skipped one book without realizing it. I later found out that this toothpick character that's the best character ever, his name is Ezra. The name of the book I accidentally skipped is called The Wrath of Ezra. And I, w- I was upset. I went back and read it, but like... Was it worth... Like, was it even better when you went back and read it where you're like, man, I can't believe I missed this gem? It had the be- one of the best fights. Uh, I can't explain what the fight is without spoiling it or explain why it was so incredible. But Ezra had a pretty epic fight with another character. And if you're wondering, how does a toothpick have an epic fight with another character? Read the books. Man, I'm interested now. I'm interested. Okay. Okay. That's it. All right. I, I'm looking. I'm looking at where we're at. I think we've hit our time. Looks like it. Yeah, we, we've uh, broke over an hour. Probably after editing. It is a hard science, the way that we look at the time, audience. Um, hard, hard <laughs> science. It is so hard. Yeah, man, hard numbers are hard. That Sigmund Freud would come to us and say, hey, you should go check out Eels. He would come to us with many questions about our mothers. Oh, man. Okay, here is a gr- I think this is a great final story here. So All I, right. I've probably mentioned this before that I've been uh, reading... Stephen Fry's fantastic retelling of Greek myths. Uh, He calls them retelling for an adult audience. That's not, he didn't add like gore or extra sex or anything in them. They just, they're very well told and they're told straightforward. They're not kiddied up. And he had a great aside when he talked about uh, Oedipus, which volume two is all about the heroes. Oedipus is in there. And he's like, you know, it's funny. Sigmund Freud talked about what an Oedipus complex is because by all accounts, Oedipus did not want to kill his father and have sex with his mother. In fact, when the Oracle of Delphi told him that was his fate, he ran away from home because he was adopted and he didn't know he was adopted. And he was trying to get away from his mother and father because he was worried he would kill them, kill his father and then have sex with his mother. He didn't want that to come to fruition. And, you know, it just came to fruition another way. Didn't he, when he found out he had actually done it, uh, like stab out his eyes? Correct. And then he's yep. blind and then he has a uh, prescience. He can like see future sight or something different. Yeah. Oh, they. Oh, so that's where Dune got it from. Um, well, Dune probably got it more in Greek myth in general. There's another seer who he's cursed with blindness. He actually Oedipus talks to him. The guy is blind, but he sees stuff. So when Oedipus is trying to get an answer from him, like, tell me the answer. He's like, uh, look within. He's like, what kind of stupid answer is that? And then when it dawns on him what it really means, because Oedipus is very clever. He's a really smart guy. I mean, when he solves the riddle of the Sphinx and all that, it all goes together. But that's his like defining trait as a hero. He really kind of stands out as a He's weird compared to most other um, Greek heroes. I mean, but other Greek heroes were smart. Like, we always think of Hercules as like a super strong manly guy, but he did do some pretty smart well, things. 
Hercules is unfortunately actually Fry talks about that too, but Hercules is unfortunately cast as a dumb brute. But the truth of it is Hercules wasn't like Wiley. He was just very honest and straightforward. So even when he's clever, he's very honest about it or he's very straightforward. He's never like super tricksy. Like he is probably the best modern showing of how Hercules would be versus how maybe Theseus or Oedipus would be would be uh, Marvel's Loki versus Thor. Thor is pretty straightforward. That's your Hercules. Loki is more of like a traditional classic Greek hero who's smart, especially Theseus. Theseus is very clever. Yeah, wasn't Theseus? uh, Nope, never mind. I'm thinking Perseus. I'm like, wasn't he the one who was like, he was lucky enough that nothing bad happened to him? And I was like, nope, that was Perseus. Uh, Yeah. Theseus was with the Minotaur. He does a lot of other stuff, too. But yes, there's also, uh, oh, my gosh, why am I having? Who's the guy who what the Odyssey Odysseus 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 is one of the is one of the cleverest of the Greeks in the Trojan War. I believe he's the one who comes up with the plan to trick the uh, the Trojans into taking the horse. Interesting. Big brain. Yeah. So the Greeks did value trickery and all that. But yes, that's a great point about Hercules. He was he was smart and clever. Um, but ultimately just very honest. See, even hunks can be smart. Even hunks? Yeah. What are they calling him? There's a big thing going on na- right now. What is it? Uh, himbos. Himbos is the popular oh, culture yes. of the time. The young ladies love the himbos. Yes. And let's not forget the best himbo of them all. In the 2016 Ghostbusters film, Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth, was a himbo. Oh, yes. Prime himbo. Prime Himbo. Himbo Prime. Himbo Prime. Fascinating. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie. I just, I, I, I know like college girls were talking about that. It's like, it tracks. I'll note that the stuff that people talks poorly about it, where people were like, oh, a female Ghostbusters. Like, no, they, like, they loved it. Uh, they look, loved his character. Well, but I mean, just the movie in general, the female Ghostbusters are not the problem with the movie. The problem with the movie is also that it devolves into a action movie in the third act just because. Anyway, I would disagree. I I would argue that my biggest issue with the with the female Ghostbusters remake was just the writing. Because I felt I felt like they were just trying to, like, copy the Ghostbusters movies, but just with, like, women and I feel like the women characters were done a great disservice in the most part in how they weren't written to be some of the most compelling characters. It was a lot of just reused uh, classic beats. And I felt like they missed a great opportunity for something really synergistic. Here, Here is an alternate perspective, because uh, I will agree the writing is an issue. Again, that that leads to a third act issue. But uh, for whatever reason, in those years, Patricia and I went and saw a number of comedies at that time. The movie is an average comedy for the years of 2014 to like 2020. And that's probably Hmm. its greatest problem is that it has a high expectation from the brand, but it's an average comedy from 2014 to 2020. Fair. Wow. So you just came out swinging at that whole, you know, time period of comedies. Yeah, they're not great. Like, look, uh, let me save you some time. Um, what's worth it to watch for Amy Schumer's train wreck is uh, John Cena and Kobe Bryant are hilarious. 
or is it LeBron James? That's true. That's true. It was LeBron James. LeBron James. That like they're the best parts of the movie, and I love Bill Hader. And the movie stinks. Like movies from like 2014 to 2020 comedies have a lot of times uh, a decent, strong first act, an okay second act, and then it just they don't know how to wrap up the movie. And Ghostbusters is very similar to like Trainwreck or some other movies at the time, like Central Intelligence. They're just they're like oh, they're okay. They'll, they'll I, I would agree you. that a lot of those comedies did suffer from the same issues. You make a good point there. Yeah. And look, don't get me wrong. They're entertaining, but they're entertaining in the same way that, you know, I I, like I have to struggle to think about some of these movies or what happened, except for the John Cena part. John Cena in Amy Schumer's Trainwreck, like go watch the first like hour of the movie and you'll see the best parts. He is hilarious. John Cena is a great human being and a hilarious actor. That's why he's in Peacemaker and why it's great. I, I praise. would concur with That's that assessment. Well, well uh, I I think should probably be putting some sort of call to action. So if you've been enjoying Last Three Brain Cells, spread it uh, like the plague. Um, sit your, your dogs down. Uh, force them to listen to it. Uh, give them treats spread uh, when it. they're doing it well. Spread it like a starfish that you've broken up and thrown to the winds. Oh no! Yes. They'll multiply. Spread it. That's actually a good example of how like that sort of like spread happens. Because you rip it up, each one forms another uh, entity. Then I'm just imagining starfish exploding like until it spreads all across the world. Which is exactly what we'd like. So, guys, I, goes, I was going to say, like, train your dog to like it and then do the same thing with your friends and family. Like, just Pavlov everyone you know. If, if you appreciate this outro, then you are the exact kind of person who will love what we continue to do as we talk about some silly stuff, occasionally bring in some real logic, and then decide that... Uh, all of us need to actually go train some cocaine bears. Hey, let's go get the kilo. All right. Uh, what? Don't say that on the podcast. Oh, we never figured out where Sammy was. Uh, oh, Sammy, shit. Where were you again? That was oh. 